0: Uh, Dangerous but useful. Uh, Ko gave us a great kid's talk, didn't he? Uh, Gave us some good examples of things which are dangerous but also useful. Uh, Let me give you some more examples. Uh, Electricity. Uh, Electricity can kill. uh, But if you take the proper precautions, if you respect its power, it can do all sorts of useful things. Cook, heat, power computers, televisions, medical equipment. Uh, or the sun, dangerous but useful. Uh, It gives life to plants and animals. We need it for health. Uh, It can be converted into electricity. It can heat up hot water, but it's also dangerous. And so we protect our eyes and our skin from its effects. Disrespect it, fail to take the right safety precautions and it, the sun, can harm you. Now, that's how Jesus describes money. Here in Luke 16, dangerous but useful. On the one hand, he says that money is dangerous. Verse 13, you cannot serve both God and money. Uh, He says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, if you love money it'll destroy your relationship with God. You can't love both. But on the other hand, he says that wealth is useful, Uh, like verse 9. Have a look at it. He says, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself for eternity. Now, that's really the key of this whole chapter. Wise use of worldly wealth now brings eternal benefits for God's kingdom. This is a topic that is close to Luke's heart as he writes his gospel. He's the only one to record the parable of the rich fool in chapter 12. Only found in Luke, Uh, the wealthy farmer is a fool because he selfishly spends his money on himself and he's not rich towards God. Uh, And then Jesus teaches about not worrying and about how God will provide Your physical needs when you seek his kingdom first. And then Luke is the only one who includes these words. Verse 33, "'Sell your possessions and give to the poor. "'Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, "'a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, "'where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. "'For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also.'" Uh, Same themes again in chapter 14 about using wealth to welcome the poor. Jesus is eating at a Pharisee's house and when he sees how everyone goes straight for the important places, he says that they've got it all wrong. And he says, verse 12, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Uh, Can you see what Luke is interested in Use worldly wealth now to gain friends for eternity. And God's children are to act that way because that's the character of God himself. Uh, Jesus goes on to tell them a parable about a great banquet, verses 15 to 24 of chapter 14, uh, a great banquet where God uh, God himself shows hospitality. Spending generously and then inviting the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind into his kingdom. And so we come to chapter 16, where Jesus tells two stories about money. And the message of both of these stories is summed up in verse 9 Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Two stories. The first one is a story to encourage. That's for the disciples. The second story is to warn. That's for the Pharisees who are also listening. So let's have a look at the first story. Verse 1, a rich man finds out his manager is wasting his assets. Now we don't know if he's incompetent or whether he's dishonest. But he can't do his job properly and so the man says the servant has to go. Uh, The rich man calls him in, verse 2, and asks to see the accounts (laughs) Uh, to show the evidence of his mismanagement. The manager has a problem, verse 3. He's been discovered he's going to be fired. He won't be able to get another job. He's too proud to beg. He's too weak for physical labour. So he comes up with a plan. Look at it there in verse 4. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe, my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? "A 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. His plan is if he can make some friends now while he's still got some influence then when he loses his job he'll be able to get another job from those he's helped. It's a clever plan but the big question is will it work? What will the boss do when he finds out? Well his response is surprising. Look there in verse 8 The master called the authorities The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. We may not agree with his morals, but we have to applaud his cleverness. Notice the boss commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. He doesn't commend the shrewd manager for his dishonesty. Now Jesus' point, this is where it gets difficult. In lots of ways, this is a simple parable, a simple story, but it's very difficult to apply because it seems like Jesus is saying we need to be like the dishonest steward and be dishonest. No, he's not saying that. There's actually meant to be a contrast between the dishonest steward and us. Look at his conclusion halfway through verse 8. For the people of this world, that's the dishonest manager, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. That's us, people who follow Jesus. Now his lesson is that we should be as shrewd as that manager. Not as dishonest. We should copy his shrewdness. Why should we be shrewd? Well, look at verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth. To gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, either the worldly wealth or maybe even the world itself is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. It's what Jesus has been saying for the last few chapters. It's what he's been modelling. The kingdom is all about the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, the outsiders, the tax collectors and sinners, They're the ones God wants in his kingdom. They're the ones Jesus is making friends with. And his message is, use your money to be hospitable to people like that, to look after them, to befriend them, to invite them into the kingdom, because that's what Jesus does. Obedience like that results in a welcome into eternity. Being hospitable now leads to eternal hospitality at God's banquet. Now that's far more important than than just building up your earthly bank balance. Jesus is talking about far more though than just being hospitable with your money. Uh, This word is uh, much broader than just money. It's worldly wealth. Literally, it's unrighteous mammon. Mammon is things. Jesus is saying, be wise in how you use everything that God has given you. It can be your home, your food, your car, your trailer, your tent, your holidays, your boat, your books, your time, your skills, your connections, your education. All that you have is for the purpose of making friends for eternity. That's the only value, the lasting value, that's the only lasting value anything we have is. All that we have, it's not for hoarding, it's not for gloating over or collecting, it's not for polishing, it's not for comparing with what others have, because nothing we have will last. You can't take it with you. If someone looked at your books, you've all got a spreadsheet of all your things, don't you? Like if someone, no, maybe not, but you, I know some people who have a spreadsheet of most things. If someone looked at that list of all your possessions, what would it say about you? How have you used your earthly things to make an eternal difference? What percentage of your money is used for others? For missionaries? For hospitality? For Christian books or programs or music or conferences? How much is used for ministry? How do you use your home? Your leisure time? Your holidays? Uh, Introduce yourself to Co's friends who are down here because they're going to go on beach mission. They're giving up their holidays to go on beach mission. The time that you spend at the gym or walking your dog or watching TV, how do you use your time? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves for eternity. Uh, Luke may have written, written that 20 centuries ago, but... I believe it's right up to date with modern culture and how we as Christians can communicate Jesus in the 21st century. Uh, Sam Chan has written a great book called Evangelism in a Sceptical World. Uh, how to make, I can't quite read the subtitle, how to make the unbelievable news of Jesus more believable. Uh, he champions hospitality, not as the only way, but as a way that Christians can break through post-Christian culture in Australia with the good news about Jesus. The strategy is that genuine friendships with non-Christians lay the foundation to speak to them about Jesus. And especially, not just your friendships, but your friendships and then introducing your non-Christians to your Christian friends. The more Christians your non-Christians can meet and realise are normal-ish people, uh, the stronger the message that they believe uh, will will ring in their ears. Now, of course, Sam Chan's strategy, it's nothing new, is it? This is what Jesus did, as Luke describes it. It's using worldly wealth to make friends for eternity. Jesus goes on to say it's all a matter of being a good steward with what you've got, making the most of what you have now. Uh, Verses 10 to 12, he says, If you use well the things that God gives you in this life, then you will show that you are trustworthy for eternal riches, which are the true riches. And using it well means treating it as dangerous but useful. Verse 13, he says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can't love both. Now, here's what all of that means so far. You can never use worldly wealth well if you love it. I'll say that again. You can never use worldly wealth well if you love it if you value it for its own sake, if you covet it, if you make it your idol. Because it means that you will never love God the way that you should and you will never use your money the way God wants you to use it. So to be a good steward with what God has given you, you must hate money. Worldly riches are their most effective when you treat them like electricity or petrol or sunlight when you treat them as dangerous but useful. Treat money with caution, use it wisely, it can have wonderful effects. But when you don't take money's danger seriously, it can be deadly. Dangerous but useful. Well, I think it probably provoked some thinking among Jesus' audience, uh, because at this point, almost as a life lesson to the danger Jesus is talking about, the Pharisees Time We we hear from the Pharisees. They've been listening. Uh, Now they laugh when Jesus says that you can't love God and money. Because Luke tells us they love money. You see, as they understood money, prosperity was a sign of God's blessing. Their wealth was God's reward for their obedience. Worldly wealth was something to be proud of because it was a sign that they loved God and God was blessing them. So of course they loved money. It just didn't compute when God said you can't love God and money. So Jesus has some words of warning for the Pharisees. You are the ones, verse 15, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Jesus wants to see generosity and true obedience and love for God. He knows the Pharisees are making excuses for why they're not generous, for why they're not uh, looking after the poor among them. They're pretending that they're godly, they're pretending that they follow the law. But Jesus says God sees their heart. He sees their greed. He sees that they're not really godly, but they love money more than they love God. Jesus says that's detestable. The Pharisees have one idea about who should be in God's kingdom, that it's made up of wealthy, righteous, respectable people. But now that Jesus is here, he is communicating a different type of people who are part of the kingdom. That's the contrast I think he's talking about in verse 16. It's quite a difficult verse. Uh, It says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. I think what Jesus is saying is something like this. There's this contrast. It used to be that God's kingdom was about keeping the law and the prophets. The Pharisees thought they were doing that. They thought that put them on the right side of God and it meant that lots of other people missed out. But now in contrast to that, there is good news. Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God and everyone, notice the everyone, everyone is being strongly encouraged to come in. There are all sorts of people. It's not about good and bad. It's not about acceptable and unacceptable. It's not about rich and poor. Everyone is being brought in to God's kingdom. Remember his main point is about using worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So you'll be welcomed into eternity. The Pharisees don't want anything to do with that, using their worldly wealth. Money means is much too important to them. And so Jesus at this point, verse 19, has a story for them. It's also about riches. This is for those who don't want to hear, those who love riches, Uh, who don't want to be wise with with, with money, this is a story to warn uh, about the danger of the love of money. Uh, It's about two men, uh, about two beggars, actually, I guess. Uh, One beggar who's begging in this life and one who begs for eternity. One guy who's rich and and spends every day in luxury. Uh, Now, we're not told his name, Uh, And then there's Lazarus, verse 20. He's a beggar lying at the rich man's gate. He's hoping to feed on the scraps from his table when the rubbish is thrown out. He's going through the bins. He's covered in sores. He's starving to death. He's too weak even to stop the dogs licking his sores. Uh, Jesus continued, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Uh, the tables are turned, the situations are reversed. This guy who was deaf to the begging of Lazarus, is now begging. In this life, he only used his wealth for himself. He had the opportunity to help Lazarus. He was right there on his doorstep, but he missed the opportunity. He failed to heed the teaching of verse 9, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He'd ignored that. So he's not welcomed into eternity which is what Father Abraham reminds him in verse 25. Son remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, the story could stop there. That's not a bad finishing point. Uh, The warning about the eternal consequences of what you do today. But interestingly, the story continues. If all Jesus was saying is that we need to give money to poor people so we can go to heaven, that would have been enough of the story. But it's not what he's saying. There is a sting in the tale because for the first time in the story, the rich man actually shows some concern for somebody else. He wants to send a message to his five brothers who presumably have inherited his wealth and are busy doing the very same things with his money verse twenty seven he answered then, then I beg your father, send lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment warn them not to make the same mistake i did but abraham replies they have moses and the prophets let them listen to them the right way to use your riches it's actually right there in the old testament they've got no excuse For example, it doesn't get any clearer than the prophet Isaiah who uh, warns in chapter 1, stop doing wrong. Learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. I don't think there's anything unclear about that. Abraham's message to Lazarus is Jesus' message to the Pharisees. The Pharisees should be obeying Moses and the prophets. They should be looking after the poor. They should be being generous with their money because Moses commanded it. But their greed won't let them because they love money more than they love God. The rich man continues, verse 30. No, that's not enough. Moses and the prophets isn't enough. Send Lazarus, someone from the dead. Then they'll listen. They'll repent if someone from the dead comes back. But what does Abraham reply? Through Abraham, Jesus is speaking a word of judgment to the Pharisees as well. Verse 31. No, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now that's the heart of the matter. It's not ultimately about whether or not you give money to the poor. But the heart attitude that loves God more than money, that heart attitude that refuses to listen to God's Son, who comes preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins, refuses to listen to the one who welcomes tax collectors and sinners, and who ultimately rises from the dead, if you ignore that Son, that's what will result in your judgment. So, what's your attitude to Jesus? He has come back from the dead to prove he's God's king. Will you listen to him? And then, what have you done with his message about how you use your wealth? Two stories from Jesus, both about his kingdom, about riches. Both have the same message use your wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The first story, be encouraged. Treat wealth like electricity, dangerous but useful. How are you using your worldly wealth? Are you using it to make an eternal difference? Most of us are interested in what sort of financial return our money can get, but what about the eternal return on your money? The second story, be warned. Don't love money. Put God first. Give joyfully and generously. Because your attitude makes all the difference. You see, according to Jesus, your financial budget, what you do with your money, it's simply a reflection of your heart. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, Or be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. Where does your heart lie? What gives you joy? Where is your treasure found? Is it in God and His kingdom and His Son? Nor is it somewhere else. Give up everything for Him and you will be welcomed home. Hear what Jesus says. Let's pray.